This Week in Alberta Politics is an independent production. Thank you for joining us. If you value the stories behind the stories, please consider donating or subscribing on our website, countersigncanada.ca. You can also find us on YouTube, Facebook, Twitter, and everywhere you get your podcasts at This Week in AB. Welcome back to This Week in AB. My name is Deirdre Mitchell-McLean, and my guests today have over half a century of political experience combined. They have both held senior roles within their respective legacy parties. From the Progressive Conservative Association of Alberta, I have Troy Wayson, and from the Wild Rose Party, Vitor Marciano. Welcome to the show. Pleasure to be here. So for the first part of the show, I would like to get your vantage points from May 5th, 2015 to UCP. May the 5th, 2015, this one's hitting you up first, Troy. It's 10 p.m. Your party went down in flames and the leader has resigned. Uh, Vitor, your party increased their seat count, remained official opposition, and the governing party was all but wiped out. Uh, It's May the 6th or 7th. You've had a couple of days to come to terms with what the next four years might look like. Troy, how far into the future are you thinking? Was it one day at a time? What was happening there? Uh, interestingly, it was one day at a time. Um, I mean, I think just for a little bit of context, uh, as many of your viewers might remember or not remember, um, we had some pretty drastic news, not only the, as you say, down in flames, but uh, our financial uh, world was pretty much uh, below zero and uh, about a million dollars in debt. And uh, when you're a board member and you are spending you know in the middle of $150,000 a month and uh, the first uh, order of business for the the new government is to make a bill that uh, removes uh, corporate donations Uh, we tended to uh, look at our situation went okay day to day so (laughs) I think that was our first 72 hours was really just looking at the state of where we were how we were going to survive and uh, what this looks like I mean keeping in mind that most of us I mean I've lived in Alberta under two governments prior to this, SoCreds in the 60s and uh, PC since the 71. So I get, the, my, from my perspective, this has been my life, and it's over as of this moment. So we, you know, not only do you have the, the balance of we've lost, but where do we go from here? Mm-hmm. And Vitor, though, <laughs> you had to be riding high. <laughs> Were you looking forward to 2019 thinking, this is it, guys. We might form government next time. Uh, we were riding high, but at the same time, we were sort of trying to digest everything that had happened. Um, we were a little bit annoyed with ourselves for 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 some of the the strategic decisions because we we kind of thought things could have gone differently in the last two weeks of the election. We oh. played a little bit of chicken with Jim Prentice, you know, trying to see who would be the first to declare that the NDP was going to win a majority government, but we wanted Prentice to do it. And uh, and he wouldn't, and uh, ultimately that uh, that destroyed his party. But it it also meant that you know some of the strategies we had for the last two weeks didn't work. Um, in that first week after the election, we're busy trying to set up version two of Wild Rose to not self destruct. 
Ah. Uh. One of Wild Rose self-destructed, and we uh, uh, we were going out of our way to not replicate the mistakes of version one of Wild Rose. So mm -hmm. uh, a gentleman by the name of Matt Solberg and myself put together a pretty detailed proposal for Brian Jean on how this caucus would run and the differences between the new caucus and the old caucus and trying to get a couple of things right, right out of the get-go. Um, we were looking over at the PCs thinking they're probably not going to come back because they were in real money trouble. Yeah. Uh, and, and we were trying to figure out the sort of the strategic timing of how you make an approach and how you bring people over uh, mm. right out of the get-go. Because it's it sort of like it, it was obvious our path to a long-term win involved finishing them off. Like, you know, that, that, that's from a, from a pure tactical sense. Like we got to get them to go away. Uh, and, but at the same time, we recognized right out of the get-go that uh, uh, a lot of the ones that were left uh, were not transactional PCers. Uh, okay. And so there were, you know, that, that caucus might hold together longer than people thought. And uh, Wild Rose had never made the inroads we wanted to make with institutional Calgary. And we were still concerned that institutional Calgary was going to prop up the PCs for, you know, well, maybe prop them Ever. up for the next election. Yeah. And so there was a lot of things that we were watching and doing. But um, in all honesty, that, that those first few months, it was way more about making sure that Wild Rose 2.0 operated better than Wild Rose 1.0, which really, you know, had some, Wild Rose 1.0 really had some vicious personality conflicts behind the scenes okay. that caused all sorts of trouble. And we we got rid of most of them, but, you know, as uh, as Albertans are still noticing possibly in uh, some of the items that are in the news, there were still a few of those personality conflicts dangling around causing this grief. <laughs> That may be the most diplomatic I've ever had seen you there. <laughs> I'm going to work really hard today on being uh, diplomatic and saying things, but possibly not saying them as explicitly as sometimes I do. <laughs> uh huh. So, of course, you know, my goal is to make you eat that. But so this almost answered my next question. So, Vitor, you, you're saying that you were already thinking of how do we get the PC party to just become the Wild Rose party, get rid of them. Um, Troy, how quickly did you start hearing about Unity? It happened, I think, shortly into January of 2016, after the federal election. There, uh, I remember Michelle Rempel had been uh, musing about her running for federal leader in their leadership. And, you know, Jason Kenney's name came up as well. And then it was kind of like, well, we can't have another leader from Alberta. Michelle, certainly there was no interest. You know, there had been some talk of maybe her coming home. But the name that kept coming up in January, and I think Graham Thompson may have been the first person that wrote about it that I can remember that was talking about, you know, Jason coming home and you know, he's not going to be prime minister. So therefore, he should maybe think of, uh, you know, becoming premier. And, you know, and to be towards point, I mean, we were even by January of 16. I mean, we, we were still about three, four months away from even just paying off our short term um, creditors. 
I'm not sure if you, I use the how you use the word transactional. If we were the, the group you were talking about, Vitor, <laughs> but uh, I mean, we were we were determined to um, keep going. So to ask, you know, um, so it was way before uh, July. I mean, as executive director of the of PC Alberta, I had you know rumors were hitting me probably about every 26 minutes, and so. When that name, when the name came up, Brian Jean had already been musing. I think he, even at the uh, at the first Wild Rose um, AGM, what was the word? There was a dance. We were dancing we were shoes. We got our dancing shoes on. Yeah, we got our dancing shoes on, and so I think that you know that was there. But you know, the unity thing. I mean, <laughs> we'll, we'll talk a little bit more about unity as we go along. But I think that this is kind of uh, you know the talk of bringing these two together, I think, was probably January 16th. Okay. See, you learn something new every day. Well, on our side, it actually started, we, we were actually looking about it and thinking about it a little earlier. Because even going into the fall of 2015, we were already realizing that corporate money was gone. But mm -hmm. because corporate money was gone, high net worth money was becoming extra important. So it becomes important that high net worth individuals, people who can give you uh, the $4,000 maximum donation are paying attention. And so in some ways, the, the NDP law increased the significance of those people. Absolutely. Which I don't think the NDP intended to do. And, and it, it is weird. It actually raised the, the importance of, of business and wealth elites in, in politics. And by the early fall of 2015, like this is shortly after the election, Wild Rose is going, you know, that money is coming in slowly. Uh, we're a long way away from a general election, so the sort of small average monthly donation that that Wild Rose generally counted on was there, but it's not it's not coming in at the same volume that it comes in in the lead up to an election or during the election period. And we start to get a little concerned that uh, that you know we're not in the financial mess that uh, the PCs are in, but we're you know you always pay attention to money and you always pay attention to building up the war chest and. The dancing shoes comment is a very deliberate comment about saying that, well, we're not going to stand in the way of getting everybody together. But at the same time, we also framed it. Let's come together under Wild Rose. So Brian, mm -hmm. incredibly brave thing uh, mm -hmm. at uh, at the first AGM, you know, five minutes before people vote on a leadership review. He, you know, from the stage, from the mic, he calls on people to sort of bury the hatchet, reach out to their old PC friends. You know, let's go. Let's go try to bring. You know, people that we have good relationships with and who we respect from the PC party into the Wild Rose party. Let's let's do that. I mean, you know, I don't think he gets anywhere near enough credit for it. I mean, literally, he could have gone up on that stage in front of a crowd of, 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 of hardcore Wild Rose partisans and done a 25 minute bash the heck out of the PCs. And he would have had a 97 percent. Right. And instead, he he does a, you know, reach out. Like let's we we have to do a little bit of forgiving. Let's let's make sure we're in a better spot for the next election. And he you know he gets an eighty eight, which is pretty amazing. But at the time, the PCs were just shutting us out left, right, and center. Um, they just didn't want to talk. Like at, at at institutional levels, you know, Troy and I certainly weren't talking. Their MLAs were barely cooperating with us in the legislature. Uh, it basically took it took about until about three quarters of the way through the Bill 6 debates before they paid attention and said, oh, Wild Rose is on to something here. Let's pile in behind. And they we finally started to do some coordination. You know, it was Man Meet Buhler uh, at the time who sort of said, yeah, okay, guys, you know, quickly called a huddle 
in the in the cloakroom and said, "All right, how do we cooperate because this actually matters?" And that was useful. And you know, we watched through that. And even into the spring, we found it hard to believe that Jason Kenny would come back. We found it hard to believe that the transactional side of the PCs, and by the transactional side, I mean the guys who were attached to the PC party because they had been the traditional route to power and to the trough. Uh, we just didn't think that they would pile in behind Jason. So we thought his 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 opportunities to to win the PC leadership race seemed really vague. And we also thought that the P side of the PC party, you know, the highly progressive side, was going to do everything in their power to prevent Jason Kenny from running. <sighs> I and did so, my best. And, and so we, we probably didn't take that as seriously as we should have as quickly as we could have. Okay. You've just opened this up. Did you realize from the disaster that was the Wild Rose crossover uh, trying to move in, into the PC fold in December of 2014, the backlash from that, did you realize that the only way that these two parties were going to be able to come together in order to create the buy-in, that you were going to have to bring it in under the Wild Rose? It, it looked obvious to us that, that it had to be that way. Our membership base felt that way. It had to be done in a principled manner. And I have to tell you that at the time, like the law didn't allow for merging two parties. Still doesn't. It still doesn't. <laughs> yep. And so it was not obvious how to do it. I mean, uh, again, another thing Brian Jean doesn't get credit for. Brian Jean's the one who assembled the uh, group of lawyers and, and, and tall foreheads, to use a, a phrase that a friend of mine d- uses, who, who figured out the, the mechanism for, you know, creating a third new party to make all of those pieces fit. And, and it was ridiculously complicated. The mechanics of doing this inside the law in a mechanism that still felt legitimate, ridiculously complicated. Okay. And it, hasn't, and it hasn't changed in four years, so let's just be honest with that one. Yes. To be fair, the last four years, one of the things that I thought maybe the NDP would get right is to really revamp how we write legislation in this province. Not a chance. The, no. the lawyers in the Justice Department own this province. It's theirs. <laughs> Okay, and Troy, so were you were you sitting in the same place as of as of January of twenty sixteen? Were you looking at it with the realization that if this was going to happen, I mean obviously it couldn't happen the same you know, with in any way similar to what happened in twenty fourteen, but were you starting to resign yourself to that fact? No. It, absolutely no. not. Absolutely not. <laughs> you know, this is, and I'm going to take a different tack than Vitor Ibn. We and he and I have talked about this. I actually will agree with them on. We needed a timeout. I honestly thought 2019 would be the election of the Wild Rose. Okay. And I thought after 40 some years. I mean, keeping in mind, I have lived in this province since 1969, and I have lived through you know two years of SOCRED and 44 years of the PCs. Probably in 1993, it was it should have been the, you know, expired overtime, done, take it off the shelf. We got another reprieve because there wasn't much of an opposition, but we also had, you know, a, a change of, a real substantial change of what the PC party looked like. Love it or hate it, that was the way it was. So to me, the way I saw it is, this was the Wild Rose's time to either become to move forward and take, as Vitor says, 2.0, or, you know, it would work itself out somewhere. We we were still, I mean, keeping in mind, we were still months away from even 
being able to say we were somewhat solvent. And there was this group of people. Now, everything had split apart. I mean, people that I know had gone already gone to the Wild Rose or people had left the PC party or they were just done and they were waiting in the wings as uh, I think um, Detroit used the institutionals that, you know, they were waiting for the next big thing. And so I'm, I'm just kind of with him. I, I mean, I thought, give us, I'm starting to think 2023. I'm not thinking 19. You know, everybody, you know, always is looking for the next election, the next big hit, as you want to say. And I was, I said, you know, this is where we will have to pick up pieces. We went through the process, even going into May of 16 of our uh, AGM, we were looking at what does this mean? We pulled our members. We asked them, what do they want? And it wasn't, you know, 95% of our members said they wanted unity. They were actually, it was barely split. And uh, Jason Copping would, would tell you that, you know, we could split some hairs on which side it went. But it wasn't, it was a 50-50 at the moment. That's great. We had to think about it. So I wasn't there. We were getting enough money in. We had cut back our expenses. We had done what we were supposed to do. And I go back as an historian to, to the to the uh, 1960s and 70s, and I look, there was an NDP, there was a liberal, there was a progressive conservative, and there was a Socrat. And if you use the logic that everybody at, at, in the in 15 and 16 were using, if we don't come together, the NDs will win. Well, if that was the case, then they should have won in 1971 because there were two <laughs> very strong parties. As it turned out, there was enough PCs that, you know, Peter Law, he was that leader. And so when he brought it together, the Socrates held on for about another decade. But they realized and they started, whether it was Ray Speaker, whether it was um, Gordon Taylor, they started coming over. That may have been the case over the years. We may have all eventually moved into the Wild Rose. But to me, this was not, this has been sort of a bastardized version of what this was supposed to look like. We're today at, you know, two years, three years later, we're looking at a situation where and I'm sure we're going to talk about more of this, but it's just, it's, it never seemed natural. I mean, the PCs have been in, in the legislature for 60 years in 1965, and the SOCREDs have been around for 20-some years, and people should have went, oh, my God. And they actually talked about it in 1966, about Joe Clark and Preston Manning talked about putting the two parties together. But at this particular moment, no, I wasn't there. I thought this was going to be Wild Rose's time. And they had every opportunity to do it. And to give, you know, to say Brian Jean had courage to do it, I think he, he should have taken the, the road of least resistance and said, screw these guys. If they want to come over, come over. But right now we're in the driver's seat and take that for a ride because they deserved it. We didn't. We needed a timeout. And what you get right now is a, you know, a bastardized version of what this is supposed to look like. Yeah, okay. <laughs> <laughs> Well, and that was that actually that's a good segue into what my next question was, because the polls were favoring the wild rose over the PCs from late 2015 on. And yep. so when Jason Kenney showed up in July, you know, with with the announcement that that he was going to bring it together, did it did it actually work better? Do you think having someone who was outside of both parties to come in and say, <laughs> I've got one shaking the head, the other one not. <laughs> okay. Um, I guess July 6th, 2016, what starts 
what starts happening? Uh, did the Waldros know beforehand? Were you kind of like, okay, this is this is the plan. This is how we can move forward. And then to Troy, theater first. We really remember uh, May of 2016 is a complete write-off for us because it's the Fort McMurray fire, so we're kind of distracted. Right. Uh, in the lead-up to May, there are already some people involved in creating some chaos inside Wild Rose. Their names are in the news and uh, will continue to be in the news. Some of them may uh, might be a little poorer by the time the election commissioner is done with them. Um, and and we're we're high in the polls. Um, we've been high in the polls. I I don't think there was a single poll during the 2015 election that had the PCs ahead of Wild Rose. Right. Yeah. And and, and so. Literally, we had been ahead of the PCs since the day Brian Jean became leader, almost. Like the very, very next poll that was done, which was, you know, eight, nine days later uh, during the election, we'd been ahead. We're watching Jason Kenney do this, and we're confused in, in some ways because it's such a, it's, it's such a weird mix. Um, and he doesn't have a base in provincial politics. I know the media always said he was a wild roser. No, he wasn't. Uh, he, 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 he never gave us any money. He never campaigned for us. He never endorsed us. He never, you know, Jason Kenny's Jason Kenny, uh, but he wasn't a wild roser. Uh, but he wasn't a PC or either. He certainly wasn't attached mm. to to the type of PC that was still left inside the PC party. Um, we didn't think the I call them the transactionals. He calls them the institutionals. Like we didn't think the 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 core of the PC, it's not fair to say it's the core of the PC party, but one of the cores of the PC party, which were people who had done very well out of being connected with the governing party for 40 years. We didn't think that they would be attracted to Jason Kenney in any way, shape or form. We thought that that was going to be a really weird mix. And frankly, we thought the PCs were going to disqualify because there was, they were, they were in a, in that sort of a mood. Um, I mean, they were turning down all of our approaches to, to anything approaching rapprochement. And it just struck us that if they weren't in a mood to cooperate in a friendly negotiated way, why in the world will they be in a mood to be forced into a shotgun marriage by a leader who's coming from the outside? So we, we, we weren't convinced it was going to work really well. And so we're, we're watching all of this. And it's, you know, 2016, you know, Brian Jean's doing the stampede circuit and Jason Kenny's doing the stampede circuit. And we're, you know, we're, we're confused by things in, in the context of Brian is universally popular across Alberta. Jason's taking on this weird chaotic exercise and we don't know what's going to happen with it. And we just, you know, at that point, the only thing that made sense was go about your business, be the best opposition you can be, do a good job of raising money, keep bashing the NDP for their mistakes. Don't be, too negative or too mean, be an attractive center-right mainstream party that will get the attention of Albertans. That's what we keep doing through all of 2016. And the polls work for us because we continue to lead the polls. And Troy, how did how how did things change when Jason Kenney showed up? Well, I mean, keeping in mind, I mean, I remember him saying that, you know, he had been in uh, conservative in Alberta for 29 years or been a conservative 29 years. I've been around for 30-some and the first time I ever met Jason Kenny was during the Stampede Circuit of July of 2016. And uh, it was, and by the way, the only first time and the last time I've ever uh, talked to Jason Kenny. So we were not of the same party. 
Um, you were saying that, you know, people within the PC party, we weren't having these conversations. Again, we, we, we understood we deserved what we got and we took it as such. We were the ones that are still, you know, today, you know, we would be still there, you know, fighting the good fight. And I think that's where Vitor and I always seem to get along well is we understand where we stand in this. And I prefer to give the voters choice as opposed to say, we got to come together and do this. So to say the people that were on the board, and one of the things that I'm just going to go back to the AGM in, in May of 16, because already the plans were being put into place. There were people that ran for the board that were already Jason Kenny people. And to say, Vitor, this is the thing to say, if you had, if that board hadn't been as it was in May, we probably would, he would not have made it through. Yes, we would have got probably another six months of somewhere in the negative numbers as polling would have went, but we would have survived. And the thing was that, you know, I tried to make that argument that it was, you know, do you survive another day or do you say this is the end of it? There were people, including the MLAs that were still there, they had already started to buy into it by this time. They were starting to say, you know, the Mike Ellis's and that they were, he'd already been meeting with Bill DeBrat. There's, we can segue to wherever you want with there, but they were already meeting. This was the sort of thing. So there was, it was starting to move. And there were people that were saying, guys, we got to do this because we're done. Well, we didn't believe we were done. And this was, and I was as, as the executive director, former board member, and been a longtime person in this party. I preferred to say, you know what, let them do it. They were doing just fine. And quite frankly, I mean, they were, I think Brian Jean was doing the job that the opposition was supposed to do. And by the way, in the last year or two, they haven't, you know what I mean, under this leadership. So I think this was the thing at this particular moment, we were ready to say, no, we're, we're let this keep going. Uh, but we had to have leadership. That was our constitutional. We had already gone over. We had to bring in it. We had to get this leadership done. And they had the opportunity to take over. That was it. Okay. So when Jason... Kenny won the leadership uh, March 18th, 2017. The way that I've got it, the way that I put it was that meant he was gunning for your party, Vitor. On July 22nd, the party members voted to merge, 95% in favor. Mine cannot be the only jaw that hit the floor with that number. What was your take, um, Troy? Oh, or Vitor. I... Here, let, let me go first. Through the fall of 2016 and, and leading into the Christmas break, uh, we're, we're sort of monitoring the reaction of our membership base and our, our supporters. And we're going, hmm, it's not at 75%. And we need a 75% approval rating under the Societies Act to change our constitution. Right. And we're like, okay, that is a complication. Something happened over the Christmas break. The Christmas breaks are weird. You know, people go away. They, they have a turkey or ham with the family. They take vacations. They, they chat. And, and something happened. Now, the vibe changed. And, uh, and our MLAs came back in January after the Christmas break, and they said, something's going on. The grassroots on the ground are starting to talk about a unity. And, and we looked at it, and we talked about it. You know, it was very obvious to us Jason was going to win. Troy's wing of the party had no political game. Like, they, they just weren't good at politics. Um, the, uh, I'm sorry, they, 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 they wrote boring. They criticized boring. They didn't campaign well. They lacked politics. And um, to, to use a Jason Kenny phrase, he's damn good at tactical politics. Uh, <laughs> uh, 
you, you can decide what that means. Uh, uh, and it was very obvious to us by January of, of, of 2017 that he's going to win. And, and it's very obvious that something's happening. You know, you, you watch the money that's coming in from small donors. You, you go out and travel the province and talk. And that's one of the things, you know, Brian Jean's really good at, at sort of reading the crowds and going out and talking to people. And he's like, no, something's happening. So there were discussions even at that point in caucus, you know, how do we position? How do we frame this? Do we do the screw off? We're going to reject you forever. And which it wasn't really an option. That wasn't where our souls were. Mm-hmm. It, it wasn't where our support was. So you get, I think it's like late January or sometime in February, Brian Jean does that uh, Facebook video where he says, you know, opening the door to doing something by way of, uh, of, of negotiations. And we're, you know, we're, we're doing that. We, we know what the polling says. Um, Brian Jean is more popular across Alberta, period, than Jason Kenney. And we know where the base of the two things are. You know, we know where the mood of our voters and our donors are. And you've got to be democratic. I mean, part of this is... No, you don't. (laughs) (laughs) Who doesn't do politics? Listen, I I respect what he's saying because there is a... There is a movement and an attitude in politics and a tradition in politics that says you think about parties as parties and as representing a set of ideas over time. And sometimes you don't be democratic because you want to keep those ideas over time and you wait for the pendulum to swing back and the population comes back to you. Wild Rose was always more populist uh, and always more democratic. Yeah. Uh, there was a distinction between the two parties. That was always one of the things, actually, that Wild Rose had to fight, even internally. You've got to be populist and still be, you know, common sense and still be practical and reasoned and measured. And th- that, that there was this constant tension there. And I'm really proud of some of the things that Wild Rose wrote over the years, uh, the quality of our policy book, because usually that involved big debates in a room with 500, 700 people and moving the bulk of the room to a reasoned, measured position that was consistent with conservative ideas and that wasn't out there. Um, and you, you always had to fight the out there thing. Um, but anyway, going into February and March, we were taking a sense of where our voters and our supporters were, and, and, and you, you had to open the door to the discussions. At the same time, we're also scratching our heads trying to figure out, is this even possible? How do we do it? Right. What are the mechanisms? How do you do the negotiations in a democratic fashion? How do you protect principles while still getting to a deal? I mean, there, there's just there's so many layers of complexity to this, and and we're we're facing it all the way through. And there are massive discussions in caucus, and you know, massive discussions amongst uh, you know senior staff and 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 the MLAs, and back and forth, and musing and trying to figure out mechanisms even for doing it because the actual you know, mechanisms were so complicated. And basically, you know, shortly after Jason wins, the, the, the negotiations begin. And realistically, I think by that point, if if Wild Rose had rejected negotiations, Albertans would have rejected Wild Rose. The mood had swung. The populist mood had swung to get these two parties together to defeat the NDP. And that is something that is still out there right now. It, it's the reason why, you know, a, a week or two ago, I predicted Jason Kenney's going to win an overwhelming majority even though there are days where it seems like he's doing his best not to. Because uh, <laughs> uh, that is the mood of Alberta. You know, if you respect the politics, if you if you try to be a Democrat in the context of respecting the, the side of democracy, 
then you have to adjust your policies, adjust your approaches, adjust, adjust your timelines, adjust your expectations to get yourself in line with the voters. Or, or you can, you know, there are some parties out there that are true to their beliefs and will always fight. You know, there, there are still a handful of communists in Alberta. And I say a handful. But they do exist. But they do exist because yeah. they don't care about winning. They care about their principles more than they care about winning. I think you got to balance principles and winning at some point. Okay. So, Troy, do you want me to repeat the question? Yeah. <laughs> I don't even remember where we were. We were talking about the the party members when they voted to merge, ninety five percent in favor. What was your what was your take on that number? That was unlike you, I I was actually surprised it was only ninety five percent. I I figured that there was going to be higher. I I'll take a different approach to this. I I knew in November of sixteen that our policy conference in in Red Deer. Mm. When the former prime minister shows up, I knew to to use Vitor's terms, yes, the game was over. It the you know I went back to my room. I put my uh, when I saw the buses. I mean, I remember on the Sunday, Don Braid asked me, said, "You saw this coming, didn't you, Troy?" And I said, "Yep, I did." And when I saw it, I knew it was over. And I remember saying to my wife that uh, I believe that uh, you know my day was done and. Uh, she said, "Well, you did promise you're going to stay till the end of the uh, to the end of the leadership in March." And I said, "Right, I did make that." So I stuck around. But knowing, I mean, after and this is that political side that you have is you know it's over. And you know, rather than to sit there, I mean, it was a charade. It was a charade on our leadership. It was a charade on the Wild Roses uh, decision to merge. It was a charade on our side that the game was over. The the federal conservatives wanted an Alberta junior team and they have it. And that was the plan, the money, the organization. I mean, look at the leadership, uh, the, the team surrounding the leadership. Now, this is all there. And, and Vitor is correct. This isn't wild rose. This isn't PC. This is a, to use the term of a, a, the last remaining PC. This is a Franken party. It has been together by, a group of people that want power to the nth degree. Whereas there are people in both parties that I think the ones that saw it as this, they saw this as bringing the, the team together. We were never a team. Vitor, how many times have we met in our life? Twice if I can, once or twice. We don't play in the same you know, uh, team system. We are we believe what we believe and we are here. Now we do believe in winning and this is where we you know we are unlike the communists. We do like to win. But we understand where we sit on the spectrum and we're good with that. And I respect Vitor and I respect you know the, the those that are new democrats and I expect I really respect the liberals after since 1921 of holding it together that mighty 12%. But it was over. Everybody wanted this so badly, but they forgot the one thing. They forgot the principles that the Wild Rose had. They forgot the, the, the institutional memory that some of us had of when things were different. And they want to put this together. Why I don't see this working in the long term, and maybe it will. I mean, it was never made for the right reasons. And I think it was over. So when you say 95% shocked you, made your, draw, your jaw drop, no, it didn't make mine. It was over. It was over in November of 16, 
And we were just playing the game to watch it go to the end. Political parties are, are private clubs. We forgot that. But now they talk, now the UCP talks about it a lot. I can make those decisions because it's a private club. It is a private club. And I actually agree with Jason Kenny on that. But today, I'm not surprised. And um, this is following the pattern. And I think we're going to talk a little bit more about this. But this is the pattern I expected right along. And I think Vitor and I would probably talk about this in 15 and 16. I'm going to disagree on a couple of things. Good. It's about bloody time. <laughs> well, yeah, it is. Um, <laughs> I, I'm not sure it's a federal takeover of, of, of the two parties. Because ah. one of the things that jumps out at me is not a single federal MP came back to run for Jason Kenney. Not one. And if it was a federal takeover of the two parties. I didn't say anything. Uh, no, Vitor, we're, we're, we're agreeing to disagree on this one because the thing is they're not coming back to play in the ballpark. They just want their junior team. They're already playing the big leagues. And my understanding, and everybody keeps saying Jason wants to be prime minister, and that's great. And now he just has to sit and buy his time in the, on the benches in the, in the junior team. There's, why would you why would you leave being an MP to become – sorry, I, I don't want to disrespect Brian G, but why would you leave being an MP to become an uh, MLA? Well, actually, and Brian G left being an MP to stop being an MP, and then things happened in his life that, that made yes, him want to course, be an yes. MLA. See, I, I look at it and say I'm surprised that a whole bunch of people who uh, are backbenchers in an opposition in Ottawa, where even though the last month or two have been pretty good, the, the, yeah. the odds are stacked against us. <laughs> Wouldn't want to be a cabinet minister in Alberta. So I'm surprised about that. Um, Everybody's going to be a cabinet minister, don't you know? <laughs> but um, the other part that, that jumps out at me, and Troy won't know this, but you, you talked about the 95%. I wasn't too surprised with the 94% uh, or the 95% in Wild Rose because we we had done a little bit of polling of the membership. And, and, and what we had discovered was, you know, with a few weeks to go, it was in the high 80s. And that the supporters were way more enthusiastic than the opponents. So to me, it was mm -hmm. sort of like the opponents had given up, the supporters were enthusiastic. So it was very obvious to us that it, we were going to come in a little higher. Um, and you guys worked for that. I mean, yeah, Derek we, was traveling the province like... Ryan was traveling. We, we invested capital in it. Absolutely. Yeah. We invested political capital in it. I'm going to be a little mischievous here. I still want to understand why the PCs held their vote, you know, because our vote was one day. Uh, using a company called Simply Voting. The BC vote was three days using a company called IntelliVote, which was the same company that did the UCP leadership race. I still want to understand why, you know, at 6 p.m. on Saturday, because we had announced our results at like 4.30, because mm -hmm. that was when our voting closed. At 6 p.m. on Saturday, the PCs managed to hold their vote open for another 20 or 30 minutes, and then they showed up with a really good number. Um, I don't know, maybe it was tactical politics. <laughs> By the way, I would prefer you not use the PC party. It, it was gone. Let's for well, all intents and purposes. You don't get away with that. I was still the PC party at that day. No. It's not gone until that vote happened. March 18th or March, March 18th of uh, it's gone. No, no. Yeah. <laughs> it's the Jason Kennedy party. Uh, agree, agreeing to disagree. So the United Conservative Party was formed, uh, but one one more battle lay ahead that year, the UCP leadership race. Uh, we had the former Wild Rose Party president allegedly running a quote-unquote kamikaze campaign to lure Wild Rose supporters to Jason Kenney. We had Brian Jean, former leader of the Wild Rose Party, Jason Kenney, leader of, or sorry, former leader of the PC Party, 
And Doug Schweitzer, representing the PC supporters who held on, a sad little 7% of the United Party. Vitor, did you feel like there was a concerted effort to make it work? Did you feel like party party membership, like you just said, they were on board? What did, what did you think of that setup in the leadership race? I'm looking at Doug Schweitzer saying it didn't seem to sit with this new party. Okay, there's a couple of different things. I mean, uh, I can think of reasons why Doug Schweitzer would want to run uh, and, and with a view to the future. So that, that made sense to me. Um, I think there was an effort on the part of the membership sort of across the province to make it work. I am still really disappointed in the things that were done that just didn't respect the actual agreement in principle. There were actual things put in the contract that got these two parties together and how the leadership race would work and how nominations would work. Those got thrown out the window. And I, you know, um, that was, uh, PC style politics, as opposed to Wild Rose style politics, you, uh, you you try to take something that's been written down and signed to and throw it out the window with Wild Rosers, they get really mad, but it is what it is. Let's be clear. Jeff Calloway did run a kamikaze stalking horse campaign, and we know it for an absolute fact because the tape that came out like last year. Detailed was, piece by piece. Piece by piece. And it was reported before he got into the race and it predicts exactly what happened. So there's, yeah. this is this is not a debatable point. It is a fact. And it is a fact that is being investigated. That, that's, that's, that's just hard, nasty politics. But laws were broken. And that is being investigated. People have already been fined for breaking laws. Mm-hmm. More fines are coming. That is a shame. That's not, that, that you, you shouldn't do politics that way. I agree. You shouldn't do politics that way because it's not right. You shouldn't do politics that way because it's bad for politics. You shouldn't do politics that way because it it just steals some of the legitimacy out of the whole process and the whole result. And you just shouldn't do it. You know, that's that's a complication. And it's a complication that is hanging around the UCP right now. And it shouldn't have been done. They got some hard work to do uh, with a bunch of people inside the movement and outside the movement. UCP is less of a movement than, than Wild Rose was to to sort of correct for that and, and it's a problem and it's going to be it's going to be a part of our politics in the next two months it's something jason kenny has to cope with deal with solve right troy did the seven percent that voted for doug schweitzer call you directly when they saw how much of the vote he got <laughs> it's interesting I, it I, I don't know where that seven percent came from i'm actually surprised he, i i predicted he would get about six but uh when he got seven i sort of said when he was going to run for the leadership of the pcs and made his decision not to mm-hmm. and we could bring that to a whole different debate but we won't most of the people that supported him that were going to support him in the pc leadership were already gone. He had disappointed them so much that they had just said enough is enough. I don't know who those 7% were. Um, This was Jason Kenney's from the get-go. There was not, you know what, as much as I was cheering for Brian Jean, it was not going to be because it was over. And I'm a little more, I'll be a little bit more forthcoming than you on this one. Since nobody's forthcoming anymore, I'm going to be forthcoming, Vitor, and say this was already decided because they wanted it more than anyone else. You still had principles. That was the the part you had to live with. There was no principles left. And this is not only does he have to own it or you know deal with it, he has to own it. And 
this isn't a movement uh, detour in any sense. I'm, I've lived through the moments. You lived through them. The Reform Party, the Wild Rose, they are movements because people got angry at the status quo. This is not about being angry at the status quo. The only other campaign that had less words in it was now, and we know how that worked out in 1971, and this was Unite Defeat the NDP. You can't beat that. You cannot beat that as a slogan. And I and I disagree with you. I mean, Richard Starkey is not a bland man. He is a very smart man, except for the fact that he still believes in things like principles and integrity. So yeah, if that's if that's bland, I'll take that nine times out of ten. But you can't beat a slogan that says unite defeat the NDP. That's all people have in their head. There's no movement to that. That is a power play and power play only. So so that seven percent, no, they may they may not work as hard as they would have under a Doug Schweitzer, but they didn't come to me. They, the people that wanted to that were part of the party I belonged to, they had already dispersed. Whether they've gone to the NDP, whether they they're with the Alberta Party, or they decided they're going to hunker down or do nothing, and that's that is one of the things that I think we're not talking about, and I think this is what we've talked about for the last hour is. What What is going to happen? I mean, I've been door knocking and I hear, you know, I want to beat the NDP, but I don't like Jason Kenney. That's not a movement. This is not a, this is not where people are getting it from the gut and saying, this is what, you know, I want my vision, my future. We don't know what that is. What is the Alberta advantage? I, I lived through it and I don't even know what the hell it is. <laughs> you know, we're, these, there's, they're platitudes and there is no policy. I mean, in fairness to what Vitor is talking about, the Wild Rose did have ideas. They had, they had principles. They had things that they wanted to do. I don't hear this right now. It is just a pure on hatred of a you know, radical socialist. Which, please, I'm not even <laughs> buying about radical. What? <laughs> you know, it may be bad business, but it's not radical. I think that right now, this is as we're moving forward. Elections matter, and we have you know. To go back to Vitor's prediction, I still believe I've watched three elections change in the last two to three weeks, and the last three in Alberta have been, you know, not Vitor would like to have one back. I'm I'm pretty sure. <laughs> but let's not get ahead of ourselves. This was Jason Kenney's to win. He won it, and now we're seeing with the outcomes. And I think we're gonna see more, and I think Vitor is absolutely correct. There will be more charges there's going to be the cynicism i've never felt this kind of angst you know even having the reform party and the wild rose was always a wake-up call right now it's not a wake-up call right now it's just pure on vitriol i'll leave it at that okay and that also that also (laughs) goes into the other question that i was going to ask so you're going to have to switch your uh your political viewpoint here but we were talking not that long ago and you said that that there was a harmony under the PCs where all of these different stripes of conservatives managed to coexist. But one of the things that you said was we coexisted because we had power. And what we're seeing in the UCP is the same the same factions of this multi, multiple conservatism but they don't have power yet. They're all jockeying. They're not happy to just let themselves get into power because no one's really got their hold on it yet. Do they have to 
come into power in order to create that harmony? Is that the only thing that's going to create harmony within that within the conservatives? Were well, you going to ask first? No, you go go first, Troy. I want to hear. I'm at, I, yeah, I have to ask you because the difference again is in nineteen. I'm going to go back again, historian Emmy. In 1967, Lahey didn't look to form a coalition. What he was looking to do, he he sat down twelve principles of and statements of what the PC party was going to be in the future. He went into the 67 election and eked out six seats. But instead of, you know, you know, jettisoning the leader and jettisoning the ideas, they worked harder. And they, when they went into opposition, they pushed the Socrat government and they formed, you know, they asked questions. This was about um, governing and this is about opposition and this is about what it was the future of Alberta. And, and I think what we're seeing here is that hasn't coalesced. So power for the sake, I mean, in 71, there was still not a rural PC. It, they was still all Socred. You have to win Calgary Edmonton or Calgary Rural or Edmonton Rural, but you have to win too. He didn't win anything in rural Alberta. What happened over time was you can get the Jeans Wazdeskis and you can get a race speaker they came together. I mean, you know, we go back to the days where we laughed when you could have a Dave Hancock and a Ted Morton. They went into caucus, they would sit down, they would debate, they would come out and, you know, to, to a joke that, you know, will always stay in my mind of, of an AGM where, you know, Morton and Hancock are holding hands and skipping down singing Kumbaya. It, that's the way it was. Right now, that's not there. That is definitely not there. And I mean, it is a a struggle for who is going to have the the biggest place at the trough and i wasn't joking i mean the every every candidate in the ucp i've talked to has said they're going to be a cabinet minister and i'm thinking this is going to be the world's largest if vitor is right this is going to be the world's largest cabinet so when there is going to be disappointment the other thing and you know and i'll be a little more cynical here is there used to be crumbs for the backbenchers. Well, that disappeared with the with the committee, you know, uh, fi- or funding coming out. So you get a base salary of $127,000 and the next step up is to be a minister. Well, how many, if you get 50, 60 MLAs, what is going to be, what is going to be of those backbenchers? How do you keep them together for four years? There's a lot of things going on, I, and I see Vitor bounce but this is the thing. We're, as we look into the future, and I think you're doing this, you, the questions you're asking are very important, is if this happens, people have to start to understand, what does this look like? You know, who is going to win the battle? I mean, is the 40-some candidates who say they are you know, pro-life, do they win the battle, or don't they? And if they don't, what are they going to do? So all of these things are there. Brian Jean came out last week with a very good, you know, fairy tale fiscal. I agree with it. I mean, if you're going to take off everything off the plate, cut cut taxes, where are you finding that money? You got to have money in or money's got to going out. And I think that, you know, a lot of these questions are not being talked about. So again, we're we're heading into this cliff and nobody's looking down. So power for the sake of power, not buying it because at the end of the day, you, you may be four years. You may get the power, but it may explode within four years. Okay. And that answer. 
It didn't. Actually, it looks like it looks like it may have given Vitor a little bit of. A... Uh, well, I mean, I, I'm going to say a couple of things. Then I think one of the complications is that I don't think there's going to be multiple power centers in this next government. This is going to be government by Jason. I agree. Um, just, just like we just had government by Rachel. Right. And one of the things that Rachel had going for her is not a single one of her MLAs, not a single one of her ministers got caught with their fingers in the cookie jar. I, I, you know, they hadn't expected to win, so they weren't expecting to raid the treasury. And, I, you know, and, and by that, I mean the people who, who supported them weren't expecting to raid the treasury. Everybody expects Jason to win. All of the hangers on attached to every one of the candidates who all think they're going to be in cabinet, think there's going to be an opportunity to make decisions. Mm -hmm. um, I think Jason Kenny will be the most centralizing premier ever. Uh, I think his natural tendencies are to be much, much more centralizing than, uh, than Stephen Harper. You know, in, in the federal party, uh, Harper loyalists, and I was one of them, would occasionally get mad at people who caused Harper trouble. And, uh, you know, Harper had this magnificent line to smarten us up. He would say, it would be a rotten shame, a real shame, if I ran a party that no one else aspired to lead. If no one else aspired to lead the party, it means it's not doing very well. And if other people aspire to lead it, it's because they think it's doing well, It's a, running it is a prize worth having, and, you know, they're going to cause me some complications. And uh, I'm not sure that Jason Kenney's going to approach politics that way. I'm not sure that a Jason Kenney caucus is going to get to make the sort of decisions and have the sort of influence and have the sort of restraining impact that a uh, Ralph Klein caucus had on Ralph Klein, on Ralph Klein's cabinet, which I think was really good, the, that existed under Lockheed and existed a little less under Getty, um, that existed for a little while under Stelmack, but the problem is that they had all tacked left and they wanted to fight liberals when the world had changed and they needed to be fighting Wild Rose. Um, they weren't worried about Wild Rose. They were worried about the liberal surging. I kept asking them where where these liberals are going to come from. Um, and, and in the process, they just annoyed 25, 30% of the voting population that was Wild Rose because they were going to fight off the liberals. Uh, this, these, you know, the, these power dynamics are going to be complicated. I still think Jason Kenney is going to win a very large majority. I think he's going to be the most unpopular premier the day after he won a very large majority. That's going to be something new in history. Um, I think he's going to have a caucus with 20-some people who are really happy at him and 50 ingrates. Um, that is going to be really complicated. Yeah. And more than that, and this is a really big problem, a whole bunch of people across Alberta think that Jason Kenney will win the election, the NDP will leave, and the next day the streets will return to being paved with gold. Oh, yes. And that's that... not happening. And And there are some fundamentally difficult decisions that need to be made. And one of the things that's annoying me about politics right now is that this isn't the 1993 election. So in the 1993 election, yeah, 93, 93. Um, literally you had both Klein and Decor going out and being straight with Albertans and saying, we have a problem. We have structural deficits. Like we have built a government that consumes more money then we can bring in, period. Um, and we got to get ahead of this. We got to fix this. Um, that's not happening right now. And to me, you know, Jason Kenney is missing a wonderful opportunity 
to be straight up with Albertans and say, I'm going to win because we all agree we need to get rid of the NDP and there's a bunch of things to fix. But folks, it's not going to be straightforward and easy. It's going to be complicated. I'm, we're going to all need to work together to get ahead of problems. Um, and so far, and I guess there's still time for him to reverse course on some directions, but the, the nature of the policy announcements he's made so far are not being straight up. Um, and, you know, we have a fiscal problem. The NDP didn't make it better. In some ways, they didn't make it as worse as I thought they might have, but they didn't make it better. You know, what Brian Jean wrote about this weekend, that when times are good, we create a government that's so expensive that we can't afford it when times are bad. That needs to get fixed. Like, it needs to get fixed. It can be fixed. And I think there is a willingness and an appetite amongst Albertans to make some fundamental changes to get ahead of this. But that's not getting talked about in our politics right now. Right. And one of the things that used to drive me crazy about the PC is that they wanted to win all It was everything, by the way. I'm sorry? It was everything. Almost everything. No, no. But one of the things that, that just frustrated me completely was that they wanted to win all the seats, that they wanted to have a party that had Dave Hancock and Ted Morton in the same party at the same cabinet table. And to me, it was like, no, they, these people have fundamentally different worldviews. And when you try to run a party that wants to be everything to all people, you just never know what you're going to get. And to me, the, the proper way to run a party is to say, no, no, these are the things we believe in. We're going to be reasonable about them. But if you elect us, this is what you're going to get. And I think Jason Kenney is in a position to do that right now. I think that's honest politics. I think that's good politics. I think that would position him to be a very successful premier. But that's not what I'm seeing at the moment. So I'm a little concerned about that. And if you don't ask for a mandate to make fundamental changes, to get everybody together in a room and sort of reimagine how we structure our government, now's the time to be straight up with Albertans, get the buy-in. But if you're telling them that you're going to get ahead of these problems, you're going to fix them, and they buy in, they vote for you, now you get to say, I do have a mandate. And, and, and you can actually make the world a better place in Alberta. And, you know, I actually think that makes the world a better place in the world. It's missing that right now, and it's, it's scaring me. But I'm, I'm an idealist. I, I come from that part of uh, politics where you try to write down the things you want to do. You try to look at the future. You try to get ahead of problems. I'm, I'm a, I'm a, I am a conservative in the sense that I am pessimistic. I think the facts of life are, are conservative. I think you've got to recognize that people are going to be self-interested and you've got to use that as mechanisms to go solve problems. I, I, I'm hopeful. Let's go defeat the NDP and everything will be good. Well, no, it's not going to be good. And, and I think Jason just setting himself up for a very, very, very difficult mandate. No, I would agree with that. And before I let you both go, I, because you have both been political operatives, you've ran campaigns, you've volunteered, you've strategized, and I need you to think really hard. I want to know, if you're advising Rachel Notley, do you <laughs> tell her to call an election in March? What path do you possibly see to victory if they call an election in March? Go first, Troy. <laughs> <laughs> <Just pass. laughs> 
No, you know, sorry, I, this one's easy, actually. I, if I, because I don't have to do it, but if I were to advise, first of all, Aid, looking at the situation today, and I'm going to, I'm going to be the politico here. I'm not going to, you know, I don't, I'm not going to talk as a Democrat. I'm going to talk as someone who believes that if you, right now, and I'm with, if the election were today, she, she is done. So why run? Constitutionally, she has until May of 2020. Right now, you're in the middle of, you've got a scandal going on that could potentially blow up and in a, in a not a good way. We saw it in 2012 of a smaller portion and it changed an election. This one could be even worse. So, right, and then if you look at what's happening federally and the fact that we had an election with three years, I'm not a big fan of having a federal and provincial election in the same year. Quite frankly, there is that's overload for not only volunteers, not only for campaigns, but for for the voter in general. This is just too much. So what I what I would say, why? You're going to lose anyway. You're gonna if you're gonna piss off the electorate, take it to the end. Say this is not the time to to go to an election. We have things we, we need to deal with and do it in March, April, May of 2020. And I and I see where he's rolling his eyebrows. <laughs> right, but, they went way up there. <laughs> yeah. But you can you're the government. You can change the law. This fixed election date, I have never in my life believed in it. This is where we will have differences. Um, I'm not a reformer of, of Democrats. This is a parliamentary system. And I do not believe that if it constitutionally hits five years that you can go to, take it. Now, chances are she's going to lose in a year anyway. But God, could you have a hell of a fun year while you're doing it. This is my inside voice. This is what you could do with it. And by the way, I'm going to throw this one out here just for Vitor. I would say, and by the way, I'm going to institute a PST, and we're going to run on it in 2020, today. How's that? And I'll leave it at that. Um, <laughs> if, if, if you're going to suffer the pain of canceling the fixed election law and, and going for the full five years, you might as well go for the PST. And, exactly. And, and, and then run with the backing of the Economist Party. Um, um, I think if you're going to cancel that law, you need a really, really big fig leaf, like a, you know, like a big fig leaf. And a PST it. isn't isn't that? No, no, no. <laughs> uh, I mean, if she's canceling the the election that has to happen before, hey, this you know, was my called, idea. You can't use it. <laughs> no, no, no. If she's canceling the election that that that, that has to be called before like May second, she needs a a massive fig leaf to cover the naked political opportunism. And, and who knows, you know, that, that, that fig leaf could show up tomorrow in the form of, you know, uh, the election commissioner just launching a bombshell report or the Mountie is announcing an investigation. Like, it might, it might show up. Because then you get to say, well, we shouldn't go into an election while we don't know what the heck's going on. Absolutely. That might, that might be reasonable. But I, it seems unlikely to me. Um, I think she's losing no matter what. They never listen to me, so I'm, I'm almost feeling brave enough to give advice. Uh, <laughs> they had a shot, I think, by being a little bit more populist. The Alberta NDP is more populist than other NDP parties. I thought they were headed in the right direction. I thought 
the premier had some like wonderful little populist lines. You know, I, I'm from Alberta. We ride horses, not unicorns. Love that line. <laughs> I, th I thought she had a chance to do a little bit more of that stuff. Um, I actually believe, you know, last week they did a stupid, 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 stupid own goal uh, by putting the head of the Pemina Institute on the board of the AER. I think that was just like earth shatteringly dumb. Yeah, it canceled out some of the possible gains, positive populist gains that she was making. And I have okay. no idea why they did that. Yeah. Um, I mean, right now, I think the NDP are hoping that Jason Kenney self-destructs. And they, that is literally their only path to victory. Um, and it's not out of the realm of possibility, if you listen to the news, but most people don't. It's, I mean, it's next to impossible. I mean, the, the lead is so big that the natural, Troy talked about it, in, in Alberta to win an election, you need to win two out of the three legs of the stool. So mm -hmm. Edmonton, Calgary, rural. Um, and so it's actually greater Edmonton, Calgary proper, everything else, because uh, it's not really rural. Some of those are small cities and that, but they, they, they seem to vote that way. Everything else is 41 seats. You need 44 to get to a majority. Uh, I think Jason Kenney's got a lock on 38 of them. Okay. And so do you, so do you advise Rachel Notley, do you say the end is the end? Just get it over with? Take yeah, something, take it quick? I, I, I'm a fundamental Democrat. Uh, in, and I, you know, like I let the voters are going to decide. Um, now, you know, my advice to her isn't call it tomorrow because I don't think that's, you know, tactically wise. Um, I, I think, you know, she has a few more months. There are things they can do. There are things they can signal. There are, are, are appeals they can make to the voters. There are, Jason Kenney is doing something that I find very, very strange, which is releasing a ton of policy right now. It's a top of the weekly news cycle. Yeah, but the complication becomes, do you run out of policy? <laughs> and, and, and like, this is from a pure campaign manager point of view. I mean, unless he's got 60 good ideas, maybe he does, uh, but that's, as somebody who's who's built campaign plans, you know, you could come up with the first 20, easy. Mm -hmm. 30 through 40, okay. After that, it gets tough. Um, the other part of it becomes, if you show up, you call a press conference, you invite the media, you give them something boring, they feel full permission to say, yeah, we're going to completely ignore everything you, you just talked about and ask you what we want to ask you. And that happened to Jason Kenney last week. Yeah. And that is not pleasant. Um, that, that makes for complicated campaigning where if you're not saying stuff that's interesting enough to capture the media's interest that day, they're going to talk about what they want to talk about. And it's almost always not what you want to talk about. <laughs> um, so it becomes, it becomes a little bit of a mess. I mean, uh, Jason Kenney is not following uh, the federal campaign book of having five or six big messages, four or five big messages. 15 or 20 little messages and thinking about how to appropriately drop them at the right times and the right venues with the right audience to swing the right group of votes so that you're always saying something that the media, even though they want to ask you about the scandal du jour, what you said is relevant enough, either by virtue of the location you said it in or by the virtue of the fact that it is broadly relevant, that you can control your media message so that during the election, when people are paying attention, it really makes a difference. Right. Um, there is, I used to do um, 
a two hour long training session for the, the federal party on, you know, if you have this level of discipline and you can do these things properly, it's the reason why traditionally when, when we're running a good election, the, the federal conservatives would move up during the election because voters would say, you know, I wasn't too much of a fan of them, but I've been paying a little bit of attention and they've been making sense lately. And that is, it's not that you've been making sense lately. It's the voters are finally paying attention and you recognize that you've reached that period where they're paying attention and you're making sure that the stuff you're putting in the window is your best stuff. Jason Kenney put some decent stuff out in the last few weeks, which means it's going to have a hard time getting people to pay attention to those things again later. Because the media are going to say, yeah, that's boring. We've already written about that. And so, you know, the, the red tape policy that he put out, which I thought was pretty good. Uh, I, I you know, would have been proud to be involved in prepping and that sort of a policy idea for just about anybody. I think that got lost. That got lost, you know, weeks before the election. And frankly, it got lost on a day where everybody wanted to talk about, you know, little complications that are going on. In week two of the election, if he tries to redo it, the media will say, yeah, we already covered that. Jason, let's talk about your candidate in lower, you know, so-and-so. Brother-in-law said something sexist about somebody. Like, this is the, you know, these are the complications that a conservative party has going into an election because they're not going to get very many breaks from the media as a whole. So, Okay. So back to the original there, I, I realized it was hard for you to stick with being Rachel Notley's advisor, but you're going to tell her. Be more populist. Be more populist. Be, be, you know, uh, get on a horse. And, and try and ride this out a get, little bit. Get on a, Get on a horse. Feature your family. She's got the spectacular three-legged dog, um, which you know says something about who she is, that she's raised and cares for a three-legged dog. Go out there and make this election about connecting with voters. And then there's a couple of policy ideas where I think she can draw some very clear distinctions with Jason Kenney, and it's going to be interesting to see what, what comes of that. But, but you, you, won't, you, you don't want her to push it a year. No, I, I I think if she pushes, like, I, listen, I think making a call that big needs a fig leaf that big. It may show up, but you you, you can't just delay the election because you're going to lose. Yeah, if you yeah. if you delay the election, the voters have to view it as plausible, like yeah, no, as a not, provincial it's, emergency, but as reasonable. Yeah, yeah, and it's that's going to be tough. Yeah. Okay. But you did give us blue sky, so I was going for it. Yeah. <laughs> and, and and to be fair, you know, Bob Ray did that. It didn't work out no. well. No. And I again, but I mean, what do you do? <laughs> yeah, if you're gonna lose anyway, you're gonna lose. Yeah. But yeah, so, I, I gotta tell you, I mean, in some level I admire the new Democrats because they haven't had their fingers in the cookie jar. Um I, I actually believe I actually believe her caucus's hearts are in the right place even if they're misinformed about the way the world really works. And um, even if they, they, you know, they get an awful lot of, of, of policy wrong, I don't think they were, I, I don't think they're evil people. I just think they're mistaken. You know, I mean, that's the difference between conservatives and progressives. Progressives think conservatives are evil. Conservatives think progressives are wrong. Uh, you know, these things are going to play themselves out that way. Well, you are evil, though. <laughs> <laughs> depends on the day right <laughs> depends on the day but it's funny we still get along and, and, and the funny part is i'm the idealist and he's the cynic so <laughs> wow 
I would like to thank both of you for taking the time to sit with me this morning. I quite enjoyed it. Thank you. Both of you. Well, I, yeah. Troy's always fun to talk to. You know, I, I, I didn't roll my eyes too many times. I, I have a video. And actually, the way you did, you know. I you would. <laughs> Let's keep in touch throughout this cycle because I think it's going to be interesting. Absolutely. Sounds good. Thanks, Derek. Okay. Thanks again for joining us. You've been listening to This Week in AB, and I'm your host, Deirdre Mitchell-McLean. My guests today were Troy Wason from the Progressive Conservative Association of Alberta and Vitor Marciano from the Wild Rose Party. You can find me on Twitter at Mitchell underscore AB and at This Week in AB. Do give us a rating wherever you're listening to boost us up in Alberta Politics Podcasts and give us a follow on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and YouTube at This Week in AB. Until next time, take a deep breath and stay centered. Discussions and interviews to Albertans who want to know more.